just a reminder, here at That's So Chronic, we are dedicated to sharing personal stories. We are not advocating any type of treatment, therapy, procedure or intervention. Everyone is unique, so please seek professional medical advice before making any decisions for yourself or for others. Welcome to That's So Chronic, the podcast where I, Jess Bryan, interview some incredible people from around the world that are thriving and sometimes only just surviving with chronic illnesses, life-changing injuries and potentially disastrous diagnoses. Today I am chatting with Emma Maguire all about their diagnosis of polycystic ovarian syndrome, irritable bowel syndrome and premenstrual dysphoric disorder. In this episode, Emma shares the road to getting these diagnoses diagnoses, how sometimes implementing an immediate management strategy like a FODMAP diet is just a little bit unsustainable, what it's like living, performing and working with multiple chronic illnesses and some advice for pre-diagnosis Emma. I really enjoyed getting to learn more about Emma's life and I hope you do too. Welcome to That's So Chronic. I love all of the random little bits of information that I find out about people when they fill out the Google form to be a part of That's So Chronic. And you, Emma, are absolutely no exception. I loved learning more about you, especially that you are a big fan of theatre, Vietnamese food, (laughs) and murder mysteries. I love that. (laughs) Yes, probably the most three unrelated things in the world, of course. (laughs) You could watch a murder mystery theatre show while eating I could, I could. (laughs) That seems like my ideal day, I think. Do you have any fave murder mysteries that I should be all over? I just watched Mayor, well, I just binge watched Mayor of Easttown. Oh, nice. If you've heard of that. I have not watched it, I've heard of it. Yeah. Um, I really like the Broken Wood Mysteries, which is like a Kiwi one yes. uh, set sort of near Walkworth. That's my favourite. Yeah. But then I also like Agatha Raisin, which is a UK one about oh, a retired cool. PR consultant who solves crimes in a tiny town and it's real fun. I love that. I think you will like Mayor of East Town because it's also kind of like a tiny town. <laughs> I just, I love it. They go to the, the smallest places in the world and there's like three murders per episode. Yeah. It's fantastic. <laughs> I know, right? It's like, how is how is this happening? Yeah, honestly, how are the people left? Who knows? <laughs> but of course, the reason why we're here chatting today on That's So Chronic is not about murder mysteries, much to everybody's disappointment, I'm <laughs> sure. But the reason why we're chatting is because you have been living with a diagnosis of irritable bowel syndrome, or IBS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS, and premenstrual dysphoric disorder, or PMDD. So we have a lot to chat about today. Yes, I. it's sort of the horrifying trifecta. Great. <laughs> <laughs> so... IBS, I think, was the first diagnosis for you? Yeah, so that one, oh, I probably would have been 15-ish. My parents sort of got to a point of me being sick in the mornings and feeling sick about doing things. They were yeah. like, you are going to the doctor now. So I went to the doctor and it was exactly what I thought it was. So talk us through that whole time as a child, as a teenager, suddenly noticing these symptoms. Like when you say you felt sick, 
how was that manifesting? Oh, it was it was not great because I've always sort of been an anxious person and IBS mm-hmm. is really, really an anxiety-related sort of chronic illness. Yeah. So I got into high school and was just feeling terrible every day. Like obviously worse some days depending on what I was eating, but just stomach cramps, pain, nausea, just terrible mm-hmm. every morning. And there was nothing I could really do about it. And I sort of was Googling things and IBS came up and it seemed very similar to what I had. Yeah. Not a fun thing to have or to talk about. There's such a stigma (laughs) having something like that. Yeah. So what happened when you saw a doctor about it? He was fortunately sort of my pediatrician. I'd known him for like probably 15 years at that point. Yeah. So he very much listened to me and believed me. And That's I, amazing. Yeah, it was really nice. And then I obviously did a whole bunch of tests for celiac and um, yeah. things like that. And then just the, the very baffling kind of hard to describe diagnosis of IBS, which is a weird diagnosis to get, I find. How would you describe it to somebody then if someone has never heard of irritable bowel syndrome before? Uh, anxiousness makes your tummy hurt. <laughs> It's the the first thing. Just in general, um, intolerances to to life. And so when you suddenly get this diagnosis and you're around 15 years old when this happens, what is the management plan moving forward? Oh, it was really hard. So uh, the FODMAP, low FODMAP diet is what they kind of suggest for IBS, which is minimizing certain sugars in your diet. So like trying to minimize fruit sugars and sorbitols and all those fake sugars. Yeah. And it's really hard to do. So you start off with the most minimal diet in the world, which is like rice and water and stuff. It's like you're on an episode of Survivor. It's (laughs) horrible. It's horrible. It's horrible. And then you start adding things back in to try and figure out what your food triggers are. Right. And I, I just, I did it as a 15 year old and I just couldn't do it. It didn't work with yeah. my family's lifestyle. It didn't work with me. And in the end, I sort of vaguely became aware of what I can and can't eat, mm-hmm. but I still never fully did low FODMAP because it's just too hard to exist in yeah. a world like that. Yeah. Especially when you're like a teenager and you need to take lunch to school or get lunch oh, absolutely. at school. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's really expensive too because low FODMAP is generally like gluten-free, dairy-free. Yeah. Then those things are really pricey. Oh, yeah. And I know you're maybe just a couple of years younger than me and I was gluten-free when I was 15 and it was oh. horrific. Like, yeah. not only was it so expensive, but there was also nothing really around back yeah, then honestly. in the 2000s. Yeah. I'm from I'm from Gisborne and there's not, uh, well, when I was last there, it wasn't exactly a massive range of gluten-free yeah. things. <laughs> like, it's much better these days, but not so much like 10 years ago. Back then, what did you find was a trigger food for you? Oh, so these ones have remained basically the same. Um, okay. Alliums, so like garlic and onion, that sort of mm-hmm. family. I can't have red meat. Yep. Dairy and gluten somewhat, but I just eat them anyway because I don't care. And yeah. then <laughs> things like nightshades, so like eggplants, and then uh, any form of bean or um, legume products, okay. so beans, soybeans, lentils, things like that. Yeah. What would happen if you did eat say onion and garlic or something like that it's, it would ruin my day the, okay. but the problem is the problem is with IBS is that it is very much like it's based on your anxiety as well yeah. so if you are completely anxiety free if you're by yourself like if I'm 
at home I've got three days to myself I will eat oniony garlicky foods because they won't make my stomach feel bad okay but if I've got an event coming up or something I cannot do that because I will feel significantly worse yeah speaking about the anxiety also being a trigger back when you were a teenager was there any discussion around how you could try and help that anxiety to then help your IBS not really I don't think I didn't really consider like mental health stuff back then yeah as much as I do now mm-hmm. I was too busy I was a really busy child and so n- moving forward to nowadays with your IBS and knowing that anxiety plays such a huge part of this would there be anything that you've done I guess to help mitigate it or to help manage your anxiety well I found out there's medication they can give you which is <laughs> nice I just got given I've been put on a new regime of medication by my doctor and it has seriously changed my life oh, like that's I am not afraid to travel places without worrying about where a bathroom is and stuff like yeah. that and that's so good and just sort of being aware of my breathing and what I specifically can eat that won't hurt me. Yeah. That's, they all sort of help now. Is there this vicious cycle of the anxiety causing the IBS, but then the IBS symptoms are also creating anxiety? Oh, terribly, terribly. (laughs) I hate traveling. Like I can't do it. And it's a problem because like my parents live in Gisborne and I haven't been back for four years because the anxiety makes my IBS worse, but then the IBS makes my anxiety worse. And I'm just like, wow, I hate flying, flying, terrifying, can't do it. Interesting. And so then you're a teenager, you eventually finish school and decide to go to university. And I believe that is when two other diagnoses (laughs) enter your life. Yes. Talk us through that. What what was first, the PMDD or the PCOS? So I um, got diagnosed with PCOS in I think 2017, Mm -hmm. 2018, Mm -hmm. when I was doing either finishing up my bachelor's or doing my master's at VIC. And then PMDD is very recent. That was like last year. Oh, okay, cool. Well, yeah. not cool. Not cool that you got another <laughs> diagnosis. It's good. It's good finding out, finding a name for something yes, I find. totally. But yeah, I was at uni and kind of wondering, I, I think I'd sort of been thinking about it for a while and just finally got to a point where I was like, oh, I should talk to a doctor about this. Yeah. Um, And like, I am the trademark classic case of PCOS. So when they diagnose you for PCOS, you must have one, two of three factors. Yeah. You must either have cysts on your ovaries, excessive hair growth or irregular periods. There's also like other things, but those are kind of the main ones. And I (laughs) very rarely get periods and... (laughs) I am the hairiest person I know. Yeah. So it was very easy for an endocrinologist to diagnose me with PCOS. Yeah. So when you think back to being a child and when you first start getting your period, had they always been a regular from day dot or had that developed as you'd gotten older? Oh, they'd always been a regular. They had been terrible. Like it was the worst pain of my life. But I was only getting them like every six or seven months or so. Okay. And of course, they always do say to you, oh, it'll settle down when you get like 20 or something. Yeah. And that never happened for me. Yeah. And during those moments when you were in extreme pain, talk us through what that felt like or feels like for you when that happens. It's like, it's not even like stomach pain all the time. It's often really bad back pain. Yeah. 
and really, really bad leg pain, but it's really sharp and awful and persistent. Like I couldn't do anything for a while when I was younger. Yeah. And it has sort of mellowed out now that I've got pills and stuff mm-hmm. and know my body a bit better, but it was just the worst pain, yeah. terrible pain. When that pain is happening, do you notice that anything helps um i mean they say yoga helps and it kind of does sometimes but uh hate painkillers mm-hmm. <laughs> lying down yeah <laughs> when you decide to go and chat to a doctor about it is it as straightforward as just booking an appointment turning up chatting to them and then bam pcos <laughs> diagnosis or what happened oh wow i it was the uni doctors, so they were all really short appointments. And right. I know I was trying to jam in about three different things at the same yeah. time. So I was like, real quickly, hey, I think I have this thing. Oh, my God, can you help? Yeah. And then I think I saw a dietitian okay. as well as – and I had to go to the hospital to see an endocrinologist. Yeah. And the endocrinologist was very, very helpful because it was a long appointment and she gave me a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's never a real easy thing. Even if you're like a trademark case like me, yeah. um, to be diagnosed with something like that. PCOS stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome. What would be your definition of PCOS? <sighs> wow, it's hard to define. I think it changes you into a kind of different person. Like I would be a wildly different I would look different, I would feel different, I would exist different, and sort of, even gender-wise, if I didn't have PCOS. So it is a, it is like getting your period, but worse, and with many other side effects. That's definitely a great byline for the PCOS poster. (laughs) (laughs) Too many words, but (laughs) that's the point. (laughs) When you are diagnosed by the endocrinologist, are they able to offer you a treatment plan moving forward? So the problem with PCOS is that, much like most chronic illnesses, uh, gifted upon us to people who are um, assigned female at birth, is that most of the treatment is birth control. And... um, so I've been getting migraines. Well, I've I've had a lot of migraines in my past, so I can't take most birth control because there will be a very significant stroke risk. Right. Which is a problem with PCOS because in my case, not all cases, you develop cysts in your body and they do often pop. Yeah. So mine, I've been very stressed for the last three years. Gosh, I wonder why. <laughs> um, <laughs> so mine have been very significant and quite bad so every like three months I get cysts popping and wow literally the only things the doctors can do for you are you go on an IUD which may help but it also may make your life worse right or you take codeine and write it out (laughs) wow yeah it's not ideal no did you ever try the IUD method I am very afraid of them. Yeah. Like I like I know they work very well for some people, but I also don't like having additional things in my body like yeah. that. Yeah. So I was on very light birth control. I was on the lightest pill they could give me for about six months and I got terrible migraines yeah. and it made me incredibly depressed. So it couldn't work for me. Yeah. So now I take like uh it's a ten day script of a pill every three or four months or so to bring on my period and that is all I take. Okay. 
And is that treatment also going to help the cysts? It helps me know when they're going to happen. Okay, yeah. Because they tend to happen predominantly when you're ovulating. Oh, so I can kind of track that. Yeah. But other than that, no. Just the codeine and write it out. Yeah, it's not great. I have direct, like I've rehearsed theatre shows I've been doing in incredible pain because I've had to yeah. because of cysts popping. That is remarkable that. <laughs> your body is able to push through when something like this happens. What do you think like switches in you to be able to continue with your life when this is going on? I'm just very stubborn. Yeah. I'm so <laughs> stubborn. I had one pop what on Monday and it wow. was kind of like, yes, I could have not gone to the rehearsal I had to do on Tuesday, but also I care significantly about my work and no one should be doing this. Like yeah. when I say that people should be looking after themselves and resting and all that. But I know my body now and I know that the cyst I am having is not life threatening and I can manage it because yeah. if I don't do something, I'll just, I don't know, lose my mind. Yeah. I can totally understand that when something isn't an immediate risk to you in the moment and how carrying on can sometimes really benefit your mental health which is also just as important as your physical health mm. but it is this fine line and this balance and all too often uh, the scales can just <laughs> slip in either direction oh yeah of course like yeah. if it was incredible pain or there was bleeding or whatever like there yeah. are very specific signs you look for if you have a cyst pop mm. that I would go to I would go to the doctor I would go to a &E, yeah. things like that yeah but other than that, you kind of just have to live with it. Speaking of your mental health in terms of the PCOS, you mentioned that when you were on the first pill that you tried, mm -hmm. that definitely increased like depressive moments or depressive thoughts. How does your mental health fit around this diagnosis? Because I can only imagine that being in this much pain does take a bit of a toll on you. It's not great. I uh, zigzag quite significantly. I'm in the process of finding a new therapist okay. because I really do need it. But like often IBS and PCOS and PMDD sometimes coincide because chronic illnesses tend to do that. Yeah. So like being in bed by yourself, being mournful is really hard to deal this with sometimes, especially if it's not just your brain doing it, it's your body doing it too. Yeah. And you've definitely found that going to therapy and chatting to somebody has helped you? For the most part, I would love a much more comprehensive and better mental health system in this country. Yeah. I think therapy is great. I think pretty much everyone should go to therapy, even just to talk, because you need someone to talk to who is objective. But I think New Zealand has a terrible mental health system. It should be significantly more comprehensive, yeah. especially... Like they say, use EAP, use the stuff connected to your workplace. And often it's not even that comprehensive. Yeah. So like as a performer, I have gone to a traditional therapy and often they've said, you're an actor, you should act your way out of this. And it's not great. I'm <laughs> absolutely shook at that. Yeah, it's, it's bizarre advice too, because you wouldn't do it for any other profession. No. And I think... It's so fascinating for me because I know, speaking from my own personal experience, that as a performer, maybe I'm performing too well at some times <laughs> and actually not really explaining or sharing how I'm feeling 
I'm putting this mask oh, yeah. on because I know that I can because I'm trained in that or whatever. <laughs> Absolutely. So that's really interesting that they would even say that. Yeah, I did not return to that person. It was a very no. cursed <laughs> office to, to start with. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. So you've But you've definitely found that therapy has helped in terms of your diagnosis. Yeah, yeah. Diagnoses. I've had a couple of good therapists through PICI, which is unfortunately only until you turn 25. Oh. Um, they were both really, really helpful and sort of, I think a, cr- a lot of chronically ill folks have weird relationships to their bodies. Mm-hmm. Like I don't feel in my body all that often, which is quite hard as a performer. Yeah. I feel like I'm piloting around a sack of disease sometimes. And that's a lot to have to try yeah. and deal with. Yeah. So therapy is nice. In that regard, it's it's helpful. As a young person being diagnosed with PCOS, right when you're in the middle, I guess, of your uni experience, how did that feel? I think it was kind of nice to get a name for it and to sort of be able to place the things that I was feeling and experiencing because I think that's better than not having a name for things like this. Yeah. But also it's a little bit like why are my friends and my colleagues and the people I'm studying with, how come I have two things now and they have none? Yeah. (laughs) It feels, I know it's a really selfish view, but it does feel a little bit like, why am I getting all of these chronic illnesses piling on me? It does feel a little bit like, why me at times? Mm, Yeah. That's something that's come up when I've been interviewing a whole range of people with a whole variety of different conditions or injuries or disabilities and, that definitely comes up a lot. Yeah, it, it is. It's strange. And it's strange when there's more than one. Mm-hmm. And then there's even more than two. When did mm. PMDD enter your life? Oh, so I was I was in a like a hospital job that was decently hellish because I got laid off because of COVID. Yeah. So I ended up doing a restaurant job sort of from late 2020 until midway through 2021. And I was sort of going through periods every few months when I felt really rageful and really upset in ways that I could not control. And like looking back, I had been doing that as well, but it had been less apparent because my life had been kind of less terrible. So it was just like this emotion that I could not keep inside myself that felt really dangerous and really unsafe Mm -hmm. and that's what PMDD is (laughs) and then did you go and chat to somebody about this yeah so I fortunately got a GP and she's now my current GP who was very very good to talk to and very much listened to me okay and I sort of outlined the fact that I had been feeling really up and down, but very specifically sort of in the 10 days before my period, right? which is what PMDD is. And she was like, that makes, that, it sounds like PMDD and, which is what I thought it was. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she was very helpful in that regard. Had you heard of PMDD before all of this started happening for you? I feel like I'd seen it in some TikToks. Okay. <laughs> I had seen it somewhere on the internet, sort of ephemerally linked to other chronic illnesses. Yeah. And then once your GP gives you this diagnosis and says that she thinks this is what it could be, what are the steps moving forward then? So it does sort of come back to birth control often. Ah, okay. I 
as I said previously, couldn't do that. So she has given me a, I think it's a very low dose antidepressant. Okay. Which I can take if I need to, to iron out my um, emotionality and unsafe urges sort of 10 days before my period starts. I've not actually needed to use it yet, fortunately, because I sort of got that diagnosis just as I was moving into my new job and my life was getting a lot better. Yeah. So... I can very much recognize the periods when I'm having PMDD, but I mostly, mostly know how to moderate the behavior without using um, antidepressants. Is it scary when this happens, especially before you got the diagnosis? Oh, totally. I was in like a black pit of despair. I was depressed in ways I'd never been depressed before. Yeah, It's a really frightening thing. Like people call... Uh, PMDD, PMS, but worse. And that doesn't even begin to encapsulate it. Like I was going to improv very much saying to my teacher, if I cry, if I just burst out into tears in this scene, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do about it because I was so emotionally on a roller coaster for those 10 days. And it definitely sounds as though it was affecting your day-to-day living. Oh, it was. I was, like, just bawling my eyes out, scootering home from work and stuff. It was really awful. And another thing about PMDD is that it's also, it's not just emotional behaviour, it's uncontrolled behaviour. Right. So one thing that I did that I definitely shouldn't have done was I woke up on a Tuesday morning in June last year going, like, I want to see a theatre show in Auckland. I'm going to go to Auckland this weekend and spend $600 an hour later going to Auckland. But you hate flying. So I took the train. Oh, so it was okay. all right. Um, <laughs> and I had a really lovely time. Like It was a, a holiday I needed and I yeah. had the money for, so it was okay. Yeah. But looking back upon it, I was like, oh, that was the exact right time for that to be a chronic condition thing not yeah. just a me wanting to see a show thing what was the show oh uh, it was oh what was it I can't remember but it was it was at Q yeah. and I took a mate and we had a bloody good time yeah but um <laughs> it was still very much uh uncontrolled decision that's so fascinating was your GP able to take like moments like that to help with the diagnosis or was it really the 10 days pre getting your period when that that's what helps give the diagnosis so that's the main symptom is it's okay it's very specific behavior only in the week before sort of slightly into your periods and it it's like uncharacteristic or really different behavior yeah yeah because like I'm I'm depressed and anxious, but this is another level. Yeah, and I guess if we're chatting about theatre, one of your biggest passions in life, mm-hmm. something you really enjoy doing with these diagnoses, the IBS, the PCOS, and the PMDD, has there ever been a moment where these diagnoses have gotten in the way of something that you really wanted to do oh definitely frequently like I've not gone to retreats and things because I've been too worried about my health or like the reason I actually so I went back to the doctor and got myself on new meds for IBS very recently because I'm doing a series of shows in the fringe and I was like I cannot live with this with me not knowing how my body is going to react on a day yeah 
So I went back in and re-talked to my doctor and got new meds, so that helped me out. Because, like, I had a couple of experiences last year where I literally had to stop working on a show one day because I was so sick and things like that. Yeah. And it's, it's really hard to do. It's so hard to do. Like, I love theatre and I love performing. And one of the main reasons I went into it is because it happens late at night and most of your symptoms clear up during the day yeah. for a lot of these conditions. How does that make you feel when something like a chronic illness gets in the way of something that you really love? It is really horrible. It makes me feel very sad and very much like I'm a letdown and I really hate it. Yeah. <laughs> it's not great. And then I guess flipping all the way to the other side, you are still working in theatre <laughs> and you're finding a way to make it work. What would be the extra considerations that you've had to put in place to make sure that you're still able to do what you love? I mean, so I predominantly direct. I run a theatre company called Tempest in Wellington. And so much of my practice as I grow and work as a director and a company leader and all that is about recognizing the unique accessibility issues that everyone has yeah, and being very empathic in how you work with people yeah. because theater theater I think traditionally has been a very sort of hierarchical structure and people being constantly harassed or pushed too hard by directors yeah. and moving into my company I've always wanted to be very careful about what people have and be very mindful about what they need so I like the show I, I worked on in December had sort of mandatory you need to take a rest breaks very much very strictly locked in or we can have our zoom meetings from our beds if we're feeling bad yeah. things like that which is really nice yeah so it's 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 good that we are taking these things into consideration, but there's still a lot to do. I was just about to say, do you think that it is a space where, it's, I guess, the theatre in general, very generalised, do you think <laughs> it is a space where people are able to be considerate of these things? I think a lot of people who get into the arts, who get into non-traditional sort of forms of work, are chronically ill or have chronic conditions. Like... I would say my arts friends, I know way more of them have chronic conditions than those who don't do arts. And I think it is because of the non-scheduled way we're allowed to live our lives, yeah. <laughs> which is very helpful. Yeah. But I also do think there is, especially in professional work, especially professional paid work, where they need to be more careful about how they approach things like this mm -hmm. there is that mentality of the show must go on a lot of the yeah. time yeah <laughs> I do feel like COVID is kind of changing that in some respects mm -hmm. like a show at Bats uh, a couple of weeks ago got cancelled got half a season cancelled because one of their cast members was really sick and they made the decision to go actually we're not going to push this person to go on stage we're going to cancel half the season yeah. and I think that is a really hard thing to do but a really healthy thing to do Mm -hmm. When I was, back when I was studying, I think our entire cast was super, super sick for the entire show. Wow. Like I recall going onto stage being incredibly sweaty because I was disgustingly ill and knowing that everyone else was in the exact same position. And I think now maybe we'd be considerate of yeah. that and not put the show on because we were disgustingly ill. <laughs> I think that is such a byproduct of the pandemic that yeah. people are way more aware when they are 
unwell with like viral things mm. and perhaps not going out into society or yeah. not performing a show when they're sick in terms Honestly. of that. Yeah. Which is fascinating that it's taken a pandemic for people to <laughs> think like this. <laughs> I find it quite challenging because my, because I have so many chronic conditions, my immune system is not great. Yeah. So I get colds frequently. Yeah. So I always have to make that, that way up of, do I have a novel coronavirus or do I just have a sore throat? Yeah. <laughs> Hate it. Just so many tests, so many swabs up yeah. the nose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in 2022, the year that we are currently living in, what would be your symptoms on a day-to-day? Well, currently, well, currently, pretty much every day I do have IBS-related symptoms. Mm-hmm. Regardless of what, I've, what I eat, regardless of what I do, they are less bad than they usually are. But most mornings I will wake up with nausea mm-hmm. and terrible stomach cramps. I'm like about to get my period next week, so I will have a couple of days of pain and then three or four days of really bad pain. Yeah. I am pretty mellow at the moment, but I am definitely in that sort of PMDD period and I'm very mindful of that happening. So I'm second guessing my financial decisions and stuff and being a little more careful at the moment because I know that if I don't, I will be spending money I shouldn't be spending. So those are my main sort of symptoms that I'm going through at the moment. And what would be your main management processes going into this new year? What does that look like? What is your team that you have around you or the different types of medications or management processes so i am currently on i'm on currently on two meds uh, mm-hmm. for ibs and one that keeps me from getting migraines yeah i take another med every three or four months of periods um and then i have a variety of pain management which i take when i need to take it yeah for the most part it is mostly keeping in keeping my anxiety in mind yeah making travel plans in advance or making plans in advance doing a lot of things via zoom which is uh, a lot more healthy and being clear with people about the illnesses i have and the things we'll need to do if something happens i think the nice thing about the the main show i'm performing in 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 the fringe is that like we've talked we have all talked about how a lot of us have chronic illnesses and now I feel a lot more supported by the fact we've discussed it that's really nice that's super nice is it hard to bring that subject up with people I think I'm getting better at it because I care less these days I'm (laughs) I'm just sort of of the the mindset that you are getting me both the good bits and the bad bits and if you want me to work for you, you need to understand that my body is very broken. Yeah. And I guess that leads into being inspired to share your story with us today. And I'm curious as to what inspired you to reach out to me and want to share your story with everybody listening today. Oh, I did see you talked to a bunch of people I know, which was a great, a good start. But I, I do feel like it is important to talk about these things. Like PCOS affects between 8 and 13% of the population. And yeah. a lot of people don't know they have it until they uh, want to get pregnant. Yeah. And if we need to be a little more considerate of these things, and if we were more aware of these things, the problems that you could potentially have in the future would be lessened. Yeah. So I think it's important, especially as someone in the arts who works a very weird schedule doing weird things, to talk about what is happening in your side, inside your body because we are all different and we all have weird 
different things happening to us and a lot of people don't know about them. Is there anything you wish that the general public knew about living with a chronic illness? It changes very significantly day to day. Um, Mm. I get very fatigued from all three of my conditions and like me lobbying for more restful moments in a device show is not me being lazy. It's me going, wow, we're halfway into a show. I'm going to be very exhausted. It would be cool if we could sit down for a second and things like that. Or things like cancelling things a couple of hours before they happen. Like I don't wake up in the morning knowing how I'm going to feel across the entire day. I wake up in the morning, hope that I'll feel all right. But sometimes my body is just like, nah, yeah. nah, today you are not going to be able to go to that meeting. Yeah. And a lot of people see that as being flaky when oftentimes it's not. When you reached out to me, you shared a little snippet of a story of the first and the only time that you have traveled overseas when you mm-hmm. were younger. Would you like to enlighten us with this story? Yeah, sure. So I went to Rarotonga in my last year of intermediate school, uh, year eight, and I did not have a PCOS diagnosis then, yeah. but I had started shaving my face, which was very hard to do when you're sharing like a cabin with people you don't you don't know super well. Yeah. But I got to Rarotonga, this amazing, lovely beachy paradise where all you do is swim and <laughs> swim in other locations yeah. and like walk trails and have fun. And I got my period for ten days. I got it for the ten days I was there. And like I'm not a tampons person, I can't do it and I could definitely not do it when I was a child. Yeah. And so I could not swim for ten days. It was so upsetting. Yeah, and especially when you're in your final year of intermediate school, when other yeah. like kids are cruel, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was like my body was weirdly shaped and I had my period and I had hair on my face and the whole thing was really messy and weird yeah do you ever think back to that moment now looking back with the hindsight of having a PCOS diagnosis or do you ever look back at Emma back in intermediate school and everything that you were going through do you ever think of those moments oh totally like like so often I think of how knowing how having a diagnosis when I was younger would have affected my behavior yeah and how much easier things would have been for me if I'd known about them earlier. What would you say to Emma that isn't swimming in Rarotonga? Um, take more pads with you to Rar- Rarotonga <laughs> yeah. because things are getting dire. Yeah, things are going to get really bad over there. <laughs> um, um, Very practical just... advice. I love it. <laughs> I was a girl guide for 13 years. All I am is practical advice. Um, no, just kind of like you are probably not the only one who is experiencing things like this. Yeah. I know it feels weird and alienating and you feel insane in your brain emotionally, but you are not the only one who is dealing with this. And I know it sucks, but one day you'll probably go back to Rarotonga. Who knows? How are you feeling about the upcoming year? How does living with a chronic illness look for you in 2022? Um, I'm very fortunate to work like a full-time real job yeah. <laughs> where I can work from home and I can work from bed and things Amazing. like that which is very helpful mm-hmm. theatre wise COVID is changing how we make arts and a lot of what we do is online now which is very helpful with a chronic condition but strange when performing Yeah, I think at 2022 I will be adapting how I make things and how I exist in this world 
and I think we all have to. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing <laughs> your story with me today. And I apologize profusely for all of the technical dramas and nightmares that have happened. No worries. It's been great. But I hope you have a lovely rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> And that was another episode of That's So Chronic. As always, it is an absolute pleasure and an honour to share so many stories from around the world. If you would like to reach out, I always love hearing from you. You can find me on Instagram and TikTok. I'm at That's So Chronic. Now, I know I keep banging on about it, but I've done some digging and there are literally thousands of people who listen to this podcast and there are not thousands of reviews on Spotify yet. So if you're listening on the Spotify app, could you please do me a huge favor, pause me right now and go and leave a little five star review. You are the best and don't tell the others, but you guys, you're my favorites. (laughs) If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can also do the same thing there by leaving reviews, following that's So Chronic on Instagram and TikTok by pressing follow or sharing That's So Chronic episodes with your friends. That really helps me with my mission of getting this podcast into as many ears as possible around the world to hopefully spread awareness out there, but more importantly, hope. Thank you so much.